You can talk about the banana in a, in a good episode. You brought a banana? So, first things first. Listeners, we apologize. We're not sponsored by Blue Yeti. Yeah. We thought we'd mention that we actually record this on my iPhone in the same room. I mean, any background noise that you hear is because this is all picked up on the same mic. And some of it's probably from experiments in the I-Ring that are really cool, so... You're getting a little inside peek at that. Congratulations. It's also a very long uh, voice memo. That's what we're... That's yeah, what this is. we record the voice memo, and then we ed- I edit it in GarageBand. It's very rudimentary, but it does what we want. Anyway, Colton, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, finished up the last week of class, our singular class. So now we're going to go into the long haul. Let's not stay on that subject too long. It'll make me depressed. Yeah. How have you been? I've been well. Yeah. Yeah? You went on a couple hikes? I did. I hiked Mount Tipinogos twice. Anybody doesn't know what Mount Tipinogos is, it is a mountain in Utah. It's a very popular hike. Second tallest mountain in Utah. About almost 12,000 feet. 11,700 feet or so. And I hiked twice. Preparing to hike Mount Whitney, which I'll be hiking... Not this Friday, but next Friday. So, Mount Tipinogos is 5,000 foot elevation gain. Depending on the trail you take, it'll be from anywhere from 14 to 16 mile hike round trip. But Mount Whitney is a 6,000 foot elevation gain and a 22 mile hike. Oh, it's not that much of a jump. I thought it was, I thought it would be more of a difference. It doesn't look, it doesn't seem like it might be that bad. Though the greatest difference will be that I will hike it at during the daytime. Right, so not at night. Yes. And who knows, that last thousand feet could be the killer. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Really. Mountaineering? No, not really. I've been preparing. It's actually the first time I ever hiked a mountain in the dark, though. That's fun. And it is way nicer. Because right? the sun is not destroying you as you try and go up the mountain. So you don't get as thirsty because you're not sweating as much or so you're not getting as dehydrated and it's just not as hot because it's nighttime and so the hiking you stay warm because you're hiking but you don't overheat it's really nice the second time i went as well it was a full moon Ooh. so quite a few times i just didn't even use a light i just walked by moonlight it was actually pretty epic that's way cool it's amazing how much of a difference it can make. For example, I mean, I've done this at day and at night, too, and at night, it seriously just feels like a stroll. Like, you're it just strolling does. along. You almost don't feel the ascent. You don't feel, like, you don't feel tired. You just feel invigorated. Once your body's, like, awake, once it's awake and it stops telling you, oh, you're supposed to be in bed, then you're fine. I went uh, backpacking, not really backpacking. We backpacked to camp up to uh, Silver Lake, which is above Tibble Fork, on the other end of this canyon, which is American Fork Canyon. It's really the same canyon. Yeah. Um, and we didn't choose to do it at night. We just ended up leaving a lot later than we thought we were going to. Yeah. And so we got up there, and we start hiking. I think we got to our campsite at, like, midnight, but... That hike was so nice. 
because it was just dark and cool, and like we had you know the big heavy backpacks on, but I felt it way less. I was just you know strolling to the lake, even though that is a pretty steep descent. Like you go, you go basically up a waterfall. Like you switch back around. Wow. To get up where this waterfall comes down. It was really nice. I wouldn't suggest anyone hiking in the middle of the night, especially on an unknown trail. It is yeah. a lot lot easier to lose the trail in the dark, and it is a lot more difficult to find the trail when you hit shale because uh, you're you can't see where you're going. Shale's not the best trail marker. No. But if you've done a hike before, it is quite nice. Although there are some hikes in Canada that I wouldn't want to do at night, just because of wildlife. The moosin, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brian Regan's moosin. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to hit some of our follow-up. Yeah, we had follow-up because we put it online, and we had a bunch of people, like four... Tell us stuff. That's one bunch for any of you who are counting. Four people. I think you should hit the first one, though. Okay. Kyle, we apologize. We have a friend named Kyle. And when we were talking about Vintium, the card game in the Zeroeth episode, we didn't mention that one of the reasons why this algorithm and solution to solve these hands worked was because Kyle spent three or four hours with me solving the problem. And you fill up a lot of whiteboard, I remember that. I so, later. Kyle, I'm sorry that I did not acknowledge you. We could probably spin off and go into some sort of academic acknowledging people and the importance of acknowledging people sort of thing, but we won't. But everyone should know that Kyle is very good at coming up with algorithms. And he was very instrumental in coming up with an algorithm to solve Vintium hands. Sorry, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> I can testify to this in general because I've watched you and Kyle working on computer science that I can work on because I wasn't in that class with you. And I've watched you come up with algorithms together and test them while I was doing homework for some other class, probably, in the same room. He's very good. Yes, he is. He's very good. I also noticed the same kind of problem-solving ability when we, we were all in multivariable calculus together, which wasn't hard, but sometimes it could be a beast, a few of the homework problems. Yeah. Kyle was good at that, too. So... Well then, Kyle, we acknowledge your algorithm prowess and your contribution to Vintium. <laughs> also, we apologize for the length of sounds in the podcast. <laughs> I really like the sounds. Yeah, I know I know this, the middle one is kind of excessively long. But I really liked how it sounded. I like them too. I'm a... I can see both sides of the argument. It's not long enough that it would bother me, but I could see it being like, oh, I'm still waiting for the sound to get over. I don't know. I'm like, I can see the other side, but I'm fine with them how they are. So, yeah. 
I'm not going to change it. It took me, I think it took me about three or four hours to come up with that second and a half of sound. Oh, yeah, don't change it. Because <laughs> I, it's really difficult to be original with some things, and I find original music quite difficult. I think this brings up another point that we should cover. I'm not sure what the best way to put this is. So someone commented that if it if our conversations were maybe tighter and more a little bit more planned out and talked about misconceptions and interesting facts about the things, the subjects that we hit. And he mentioned Vsauce as an example, which is a great example of good YouTube entertainment. I agree. Vsauce, there's a reason why Vsauce has 7 million subscribers. Right. And so I'm not saying that's not good. I'm just saying we don't have the time to do the research and the planning necessary to make something like Vsauce happen. That's why it's supposed to be much more of a very rudimentary starter up two dudes talking just because they want to see how fun it is. Yeah. I mean, we do this because we talk anyway. It's true. But we find ourselves more often saying, oh, we should save this one for the podcast. But we still have conversations all the time. And the point, I feel like the point of, well, from my perspective, the point of this podcast and this talking is because I'm interested to see what it's like. What is it like to record my own voice, to listen to my own voice when I'm editing it, and then to put it on the internet and have some couple people say something about it? I've never done that before. And in this age of the internet, there are thousands, millions of people that do this all the time, and I've never done it. So I'm just interested in seeing what it's like. There's Garrett's interested in all the things, quality coming out again, which is a very praiseworthy quality. I don't think that's why I decided to do it with you, though that that's a bonus, right, for me, because I'm pretty shy naturally, and so I feel really weird talking when I'm constantly thinking about the people that are going to be listening, and my own idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasies when I listen really start to bother me, but the main reason I think that I enjoy it is because it's a good intellectual invigorating conversation about subjects that interest both of us and I get often I get viewpoints from you that I didn't expect and then I think about them and I don't know it's a it's a good mental exercise yeah we could have this conversation anytime we're the same place at the same time or want to break from homework and have sort of an intellectually invigorating conversation and not record it but just out of interest we thought hey let's record it but it's interesting how the fact that we decided to record it has influenced what we talk about. Like we thought about, oh, what would be more interesting to people besides us? And we've planned a little bit more, not to the Vsauce degree, but just planned a few topics and maybe done a little bit of preparation. Anyway, that's interesting. I feel we do, we definitely, as we mentioned before, pull inspiration from hello internet because it was almost 
just two friends that said, hey, let's try talking and seeing what happens. Yeah. They were already YouTube sensations, so they already had followers. And so when they started their podcast, they ended up with 100,000 people to listen to them. But it is... Well, I can't say it's the same thing. But we're just two dudes talking. It really is. We don't pretend to be anything more than that. (laughs) And probably much less. So I think we should hit something else really quick and then come back to podcasts. Someone that listened to the to episode two, the language episode, mentioned, though it's not a lacuna, they mentioned the word sonder, which I thought was a really good word for that podcast. Because we talked about the reason that we think it's valuable to learn another language is for this experience of being able to like get outside your own head and realize, basically experience sonder, which, if you didn't see in the comments... I don't know how likely it is the the other three people looked at that comment. <laughs> um, means the Sonder is the realization that everyone else's life, everyone else around you is living life just as vivid and meaningful to them as yours is to you. So basically, it's the realization that we were talking about that you're not the only perspective in the world, and you're not the most important person in the world. And that there are other viewpoints that are equally as valid, mo- even morally so. So I feel like basically what we were saying is learning another language is good because it helps you to experience Sonder. Yeah. Which is a healthy thing for humans. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, so back to podcasts now. There was another comment that talked about, it was the same one that talked about how if we made the podcast tighter like Vsauce, then it would be a lot more interesting. And I agree, that's definitely more interesting. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, we don't have the time to do the research or preparation necessary to make that happen. And the reason I at least like really long podcasts is because of how I use them as entertainment. I don't ever or almost never just put on a podcast and just sit there and listen to it like you would just sit there and watch something on TV or watch a movie because it can't hold my attention just doing that. Every time I've ever tried to do that, I always pull up something else and I start reading something and then I realize I'm not paying attention, but like it won't hold my attention long enough if I'm just sitting there and doing nothing else. So I use podcasts to lighten up the monotony of certain other things like doing the dishes or stuff around the house like that or often when I'm when I'm programming or I don't know things like that just things that I know I'm going to spend a lot of have to spend a lot of time doing this but I need something to break up the monotony and keep me from falling asleep even though I love programming it can still make me fall asleep you know what I mean (laughs) yeah that's I use podcasts almost solely for programming. I just spend so much time in one sitting programming that going from the creative stage of programming to the tedious stage of programming happens all in the same session. 
And so it's really nice to have something in the background, uh, especially a podcast that is entertaining or intellectually stimulating, so that during the creative portion of my programming, I might, for some reason, spark an idea because it's late at night and I'm getting tired, but the people that I'm listening to seem wide awake and in deep intellectual conversation. So my brain wants to follow along with it a bit more and it helps me stay awake and it helps me be more productive to a point. Then when it becomes tedious, sometimes I focus too much on the podcast and I don't code as quickly. But the trade-off of being alert for longer is better in my mind than trying to code faster. It definitely, it always slows me down, but I always feel more successful after a session of programming. I would pretty much agree with your sentiment. I Lately, I sit down and I program for more than five hours at a time most of the time, just in one session, just five hours. And sometimes I'm sitting there trying to figure out a problem for a long time, right? And so not only do I need, like, the intellectual stimulation, but I need, like, the break. And if I just stand up and, like, walk around, my brain is still working on the problem so much that it's just tiring itself out without making progress. But if I have that podcast in the background, I can let my brain just, like, take a breath, you know, get its head out of the water and... (sighs) And then it's still, like, cycling the problem in the background, but... I just don't feel as burnt out, you know what I mean? Ah, uh-huh. that's what I mean. It's like, you can go longer. You yeah. can go for a longer period of time. I don't know, maybe I would figure out the problem faster, but I've... And when I feel like it's really hindering me to figure out the problem, I will turn off whatever I'm doing and just focus. Um, but most of the time, I enjoy having something in the background. So that's why I like really long podcasts, because if I program it for five hours, there's the bell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome to the school. If I'm programming for five hours and the podcast is only an hour and a half, then I have three and a half hours that I have to just try and soldier on. And that's not fun. No. So I mean, it can be fun, but it's not always fun. Yeah, so that's why we record um, podcasts that are upwards to an hour long or more than an hour long. But... I don't think we'll ever record one that is equal to the Christmas bumper special of Hello Internet. No. How long was that one? Three and a half hours? No, it was three. Three hours. It was two hours and 50 minutes, but my goodness. Yeah. Happy Christmas. I actually rather enjoyed that one for the same reason. I was just trying to pass a lot of time, and it helped. Because it was three hours? Yeah. So the last one, the most recent one, was an hour and 20 minutes cut. And I think it was an hour and 45 minutes uncut. And I think that one, because I cut so much out, I think it took me five or six hours to actually <laughs> edit it. <laughs> and so I couldn't imagine how long it would take me to edit something Dang. cut down to three hours. So rest assured, people, we're, I'm not going to do that. I will cut large chunks out to... Uh, <laughs> if You'll just going completely... Mangle it, just so you don't. Have to just pff, we're gonna chop off this last hour. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that pretty much covers follow up. 
Right? I think so, yeah. We actually had follow-up, real follow-up. Oh, it's kind of interesting. Cool. Yes, thank you for those who commented. We appreciate your perspective. So, I don't have a lot of time left, which means we should cover the rest of these things kind of quickly. Okay. So, our main topic for today, but we'll hit one more before that, is the movie The Hunt for Red October. So... I'm interested to... I like talking about movies. One of the podcasts that I listen to, I try to find... They talk about all sorts of media, but I try to find the ones where they talk about movies so I can listen to those while I'm programming. I think it's interesting to hear what people think about them, about the details. So, we'll hit that in a second. But a question, just to kind of throw out there, not sure I have an answer, is why is it interesting to watch some reality TV shows? For example, my wife and I don't love, but, you know, we enjoy as as just kind of a time passer before we go to bed sort of thing. A TV show on the Food Network called Chopped. It's a cooking competition. Yeah. And my wife cooks really well. And yes, she does. She's, but she's not uber into cooking like the people on Food Network are. And I, of course, hardly cook at all. I'm uber into eating. Um, especially my wife's cooking but we both think the show is interesting and we laugh at it and we like make jokes about it sometimes and it's just so weird to me that something like that is interesting the show basically the premise is there are three judges who own a bunch of restaurants and are like really accomplished chefs and then there are four competitors they come and they give them they have to cook an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. But each each meal is like a round, and they have they're timed like thirty minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, something like that. Okay. And they give them baskets with mystery ingredients. And there's always four of them, and they have to use all four. But they're always like these super out there things, like they're hard to use. For example, they'll give you something you would use in a dessert, in like the appetizer round, etc. Okay. So it's, it's supposed to be difficult, right? And for some reason... Oh, and each round someone is eliminated, so whoever's left is the winner. Ah, I see. Four people, three rounds. One wins. One wins, yeah. And they win $10,000, which oh, yeah, yeah. seems kind of ridiculous to me, except for when they use it for good causes, like charities and such. Or tuition. <laughs> All of them are already out of college. That would be great. Anyway. Anyway, for some reason, this show is so interesting to us, and... It's just weird to me that that is interesting. I thought about this. like, Why are some of these so interesting to watch, even though none of us have ever had this experience? Or if you asked us if we were interested in the subject in general, we wouldn't say yes. We would say, uh, I don't know, maybe. Hmm. So I don't... I've never seen Chopped, but I've watched other reality-type TV shows as well that I find interesting but for different reasons like reasons that i understand why i like them Um, for example i like watching the amazing race i don't but if it's on i don't mind watching it because the amazing race first of all it's all over the world and so you get to see really cool things really cool camera shots that's the reason i like planet earth but the amazing race it's pitting people against each other to do things that are difficult 
and I like watching people accomplish hard things. And so the amazing race you see, sometimes are physical challenges, sometimes they're intellectual challenges, sometimes they're emotional challenges or psychological challenges. Ooh. Like psychological is in you have to perform in front of the, an audience, and oh, for some okay. people that is extremely exa- like anxious, ang- whatever, nervous, nerving, unnerving. For some people, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> for some people, it causes them it makes a lot them of nervous. Stress. Yes. Yeah. Um, I concur with these people. I don't like that a whole lot. But there are other, not reality TV shows, but actual real life things that are boring. For example, watching golf is really boring. Oh, yeah. And golf is not a reality TV show, but there are people, and there are winner, there's a winner and there are losers, but it's actually happening. It's not some game that's been set up to For determine For a TV show. Yeah. Hmm. But, well, golf is sport. Maybe that's a little different, but... I agree that golf is boring to watch. Actually, one that I do find is kind of interesting is there was this one, um, I don't know what it's called. There was this guy, and he was a skilled carpenter, and he did decks like he would go to people's houses oh you mean like the thing that you stand on outside of your house yes okay yeah and he would create like he and his crew would create these elaborate beautiful decks for people nice and that one interests me a little bit because i've worked a lot of construction okay and to see some of the things that people make or to see how they make them is quite quite interesting let me ask you this are houses, like house design, is that inherently interesting to you? Yeah. Is this inherently interesting to most people? Um, I don't know. Because I feel like more than just a specialized group of people are interested in looking at houses. Maybe because it's something so commonplace in your life, your house, where you live, that it's interesting to see and imagine, oh, what would it be like if my entire life was in this space instead of that one with the rooms arranged this way and this feature and that feature. Oh. I think this is a pretty common thing, at least in Western culture. My wife is also interested in looking at houses and like the windows and where they are and stuff like that, just little stuff like that. Neither of us are, I don't know what you would call it, expert connoisseur no these aren't the right word you know what i mean we're not obsessed about it yeah but it's interesting so shows like that or like extreme home makeover mm-hmm. i would watch that if it was on um I wonder I, maybe it's this sort of thing of you take a person who lives their life and to almost every person life is mundane sometimes or frequently mundane Right. And you give them this opportunity to live in, or to imagine this hypothetical situation, and to see a hypothetical situation. And perhaps if they were there, maybe they were doing this, or maybe they were experiencing this thing, then that's what interests them or excites them. Yeah, that might be it. Just it sort of takes them out of reality to put them in someone else's reality for an hour. <laughs> so the point of reality TV is to get out of your reality. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of what entertainment is in general. There's the other bell. There's the, the other bell. bell. And the delayed one. Um, 
But that's kind of what entertainment is for in general, right? To escape your world for a second and imagine yourself in a different one. Yeah. Even if it's just the same exact world, but with that deck on the back of your house <laughs> instead of yeah, exactly. What you have. <laughs> huh? That could be it. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like most people, when they go for entertainment, that's part of it is to let your brain do this mental exercise of, oh, what if my situation was different? I would like to say before we go on about one more thing. Sometimes we say stuff that is opinion-based and we're not, like you and I are not spokesmen for whatever we are. Like sure we're physicists, sure you're American, sure I'm Canadian, sure we're from different places and different backgrounds, but just because we have an opinion does not mean that that is all the opinions of all the people. No, definitely not. It's just, I, well, there's one more thing, a follow-up that I just remembered. They said to me that they think it's very important to have AC in Canada, for example, when I was talking about the bovine. Oh, okay. And, like, the grilling of meat in the, in the summer and such. But that I clearly didn't, was like, not a Canadian thing, because you mentioned yeah. other Canadians and how they also enjoy this. That was yeah. just a you thing. But on top of it, this is also my first time expressing my opinion and then putting it on the internet. And I know you can't take things back from the internet. They don't let you. The world of the internet is hit. Like, you say it. And That's a one-way door. Yes, exactly. So, I just wanted to say that sometimes, if I say something, it's because I was trying to make a point, not because I wholeheartedly agree with what I said. Right, you're just thinking out loud. Yeah. And... You're trying to explain why you think this because of the experiences you've had. The fact that you're Canadian is something that influences a lot how you think, but it doesn't mean that all Canadians think like you do. Yeah. Let us talk about the hunt for Red October. Okay. I am quite interested to hear what you have to say. Ah, I was going to say that. I'll go first this time, though, because you went first last time we talked about something like this. Okay. So... Can I say one thing, though, before you start? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't realize that this... I forgot. I hadn't seen this film in a long time, but I didn't realize that this film had such an incredible cast of actors. It yeah. was quite intense. Anyway, I just wanted to point push that out there, that that was... I was watching the opening credits, and it's just name after name after name of these people who were so good and so big. So I'm anyway. not very good at remembering actors' names, but I noticed the guy... Don't know his name who plays Alan Grant in Jurassic Park. Yeah, he was, was the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Sean Connery. I assume the guy that plays Jack Ryan is a good actor, but I don't really know him. Yeah, I've seen him in other things. Alex Baldwin, I think. Oh, that's his name. James Earl Jones. Ah, uh, yeah, James Earl Jones. Darth Vader. Unmistakable. And, yeah, that voice. Yep. On top Mufasa. Of, yeah, Mufasa as well. <laughs> On top of it, there was... I noticed... I don't know his name, but the same actor that plays the scientist, the crazy scientist with the Tesseract and Thor, and in the Avengers, the Ukrainian guy. Okay. He was also in there. He oh. was the other Russian sub-captain. Oh, that's why I recognized him. He was much younger. Yes, he was much younger, because it was 1990. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, tell me what you thought of it. So, my notes are hilarious, because I'm a student. I've never taken notes on a movie Except for if I had to remember the content of the movie. So my notes totally keep going back to this. I'm just making points to remember what happened. But 
That's not why I took notes. <laughs> so, my... <laughs> anyway, I'm just having a hard time taking myself seriously. But... I'm interested in what are the, some of the notes you said. Spoilers, in case anyone hasn't seen The Hunt for Red October. I think Colton's about to spoil the entire plot. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. No, I won't spoil the entire plot. Um, no, it's fine. It's only a so, film. They could, they could pause and go watch it and then come back and listen. Some of my notes are just... They're, I'm so nitpicky, I realize, with the movies. Like, this one. <clears throat> Ooh, his own agenda. <laughs> when the captain of the Red October takes the orders, he kills the political officer, takes his key, takes his orders and burns them and announces that he's going to do something else, right? Yep. The crew doesn't know that it's not their orders, but he does. And we know we do because of what we've seen. So I just wrote... Ooh, his own agenda. But that's much more of, like, <laughs> remember what happened instead of, like, this is my opinion about that. <laughs> I thought that was a good, interesting way to start it, though. But that's not my first thing. My first, my very first thought that I thought was worthy to write down is, flight attendant forces exposition out. He's smart and doesn't like chaotic situations. PTSD, when Jack Ryan is on the plane, oh. the flight attendant asks him, like, why don't you sleep? First of all, I don't know if she, like, knew him or something, but that is weird to me that a flight attendant would be all up in my business like that. Like, hey, why aren't you sleeping? Because I want to stay awake. <laughs> like, That's a good point. I mean... It's super weird. <laughs> when I flown... Because he started out in London. Right. And when I've flown from the UK and America and such, I don't sleep on those flights because I'm, I try to beat the jet lag. Right. And so, yeah... I, don't sleep on purpose. That's, yeah, that's kind of strange. I didn't, I didn't she that. says the first thing she says is semi-normal. Like it could be just a friendly comment. She says something to the effect of, "You know, the flight will go a lot faster if you sleep." Yeah. And I, as soon as he responds, though, I feel like this is just a. It's like forcing some exposition out. It feels a little bit too forced. Because then Jack Ryan responds with, oh, I can't sleep because of the turbulence, and for some reason, this flight attendant doesn't know what turbulence means. That was so funny. Or he doesn't know that she knows, something like that. Because so, he describes it. And the, I feel like this is just there to force us to see that Jack Ryan's smart, and he knows the reason why turbulence happens to a scientific level. Like, yeah. I feel like that's just to expose this about him, and it felt a little too set up, you know what I mean? And then after that, after she already doesn't know what turbulence means, she says that he should try to sleep anyway. Again, I'm thinking, what in the, who does this flight attendant think she is getting all up in his business? The guy wants to stay awake on the plane, leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's super weird to me. Anyway, so that was my very first thought about this movie, as you can see, it was super nitpicky. <laughs> but, it gets better from there. Yeah, oh yeah, it does. What else? Do I have? Oh, his cool last name is a first name. That's always a good way to have a cool last name. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan's last name's Ryan. I also noticed, I don't know how good CG was at this point. Probably not very good. It's the 90s. But I was impressed when a sub passed, and then the water rippled in front of the camera as the propeller went past. Oh. And I just thought, oh, that looked really nice. 
I don't even know if it was CG. Maybe they actually had a camera underwater and they ran a model propeller by it or something, but... A quick side note, I watched, like, a seven-minute video about bad CGI, uh-huh. and this guy, he went on a rant, and he's like, the reason why no one ever really says that was good CGI is because you don't know it's CGI. Right, that's the whole point. Yeah. It's the point. So there were a couple times in the film uh, where I noticed, it's like, oh, that was obviously 90 CGI right there. You mean, like, the countermeasures, the things they... Yeah, out for the torpedo to hit. Yeah, there were some things that were really obvious, yeah. and it's like, okay, so this thing is happening, and blah blah blah, and you can tell that it's it's different. The texture is different. The way it moves is slightly different. And, and you for can tell some reason the countermeasure things like glowed. That was super weird to me. <laughs> yeah, so there were some things that you noticed were CGI, but the good things you never noticed because they're good. They just right fit right in. Anyway, so kudos, 90 CGI on the water effect if that was CGI. If not, kudos on actually doing it right. Well yeah. done. <laughs> My notes stop probably about 30 minutes in. But I still have a lot of thoughts. Okay, Ken, I'm going to put in then if you, it's like 30 minutes into the film, because I think that that transition that they did between subtitled Russian and them speaking English was beautiful. I like that too. I, for a second, I. I was going to be really impressed just because I'm interested in languages. I was going to say, wow, are they going to have these actors go through this whole movie? And I know they don't actually speak Russian, but they're going to have them go through this whole movie speaking probably decent Russian, at least convincing to me that, you know, I don't speak Russian. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really impressed, but that's got to be really hard for the actors. It's probably not, they're probably not going to pull it off very well. But then they transition and I thought, ah, this is good. It was sort of a transition, because they were zooming in, the camera was zooming in on the political guy, the political yeah. Russian, as he was reading from the Bible in Russian, and then they sort of go right up to his lips in a pause moment, and then it backs out, and he's speaking English. Right. That was very smooth. Good kudos to that actor, because it would be really hard for me not to, like, switch the languages and then, like, look at the camera like, oh, did you see that? That was cool that I did that. <laughs> But, he totally but he's an actor, so... Yeah. But anyway, that was good. I agreed that that was a great little element. Um, also, Sean Connery's a decently convincing Russian. Probably not to Russian speakers, but at least to me. Pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. I like him in general. He's just a good, guy, good actor. It's true. If it weren't Sean Connery, I would say it's weird that his English accent, like, when they switch to English is Scottish. He's Scottish, yeah. And the rest of theirs is American. <laughs> so that was a little weird for me. I found myself thinking, so did he... Are we? I know we're supposed to think they're speaking Russian, but is he like... I guess he is from another country. They say that he's from Lithuania. Anyway, I'm totally overthinking this. That's the reason for the name of this podcast. Oh, there was one other person in that I forgot to mention. Tim Curry was in it. Do you know who Tim Curry is? No. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> That's okay. But Tim Curry was in it. I forgot that Tim Curry was in it. Who's Tim Curry in the movie? The Doctor. Uh, yes, I recognized him. You recognize his face? Yeah. Yeah. I recognize him as a character I hate in every movie I see him in. He's in Home Alone 2. Ah, uh, yeah. But you don't hate him in Home Alone 2 because he's funny. He's the concierge guy. I still don't like him. Anyway. I remember seeing him in that movie and I just thought... He usually plays evil characters. I think he also plays like... 
I mean, I, is this in Home Alone 2 where he's kind of a... He's not, like, brave. He's just kind of a wimp. I think so. That's what bothers me about him, I think. He plays that character well, but I don't like that character. So, he's good at making you not like him. Kudos, Tim Curry. <laughs> also, I thought this was subtle, but good. When Sean Connery is explaining to the political officer why... Um, he says something about people that build, built the atomic bomb and they were labeled as communists. Yes. And I thought to myself, but wait, he's a communist. Why is he saying this as if it's negative. that's a group, it's negative and, it, and if it's a group that he is not a part of? That was, a, that was really good subtle foreshadowing, I thought. Oh. I thought it was very interesting that they also attributed the, um, the thing correctly saying, I believe, I, I believe he was, nope, don't remember where he is, but the, the guy who came up with the idea of the atomic bomb, like the, the whole, you have a uranium atom, uranium atom, when it splits, it releases a lot of energy and two neutrons, and so if you had a chain reaction where it split and released neutrons and those hit uranium atoms, which caused them to become unstable and split, and so on, then you just release this entire energy. That guy who came up with that idea was the same one that said that I am the destroyer of worlds. And that comes from a quote from an old Hindu thing. And they fit that together really well. They gave the right name of the guy who came up with the idea, and the right... I was impressed. Yeah. It was really good. I feel like the beginning of the movie is really strong. It's really thought out and good except for that flight attendant scene that's weird I would say in the beginning as well that the Soviet national anthem was kind of epic yes I I thought that was really cool and I just love Jonesy at the sonar station oh yeah I was rooting for him like the whole movie you know that was good okay so the reason my notes stopped 30 minutes in is I realized that I had, like, put my phone down, and I'm sitting, like, with my head towards the TV. I was on my bed, head towards the TV, feet away from the TV, because I was interested, right? And I realized that I was doing this, and I thought, oh, well, they got me, and so I wrote this down. You got me, guys. But then, right at the very end, there were a few things that just started to... didn't ruin it for me completely, but they started to, like, bother again. For example, that part where... Jack Ryan is crawling, he's looking for the saboteur, and he does a Sean Connery impression, kind of like grumbling to himself, like, be careful what you shoot at in here, not everything responds well to bullets. Yeah. I didn't think that was funny, I thought it was, like, out of place. I don't know, did you think it was funny? It was, I thought it was funny because Sean Connery told him, be careful what you shoot at, not things in here, well, not many things in here respond well to bullets. And then he goes to find the cook who's sabotaging the sub. And the cook is just open, like, just shooting bullets everywhere. That's And that's so that's true. why, I, th- I thought that's why he commented. He's like, well, I have to be careful what I'm shooting at. It's like, he is just shooting everything. I thought that comment was funny, but I, I, if I remember right, the Sean Connery impression was before that. And I, like, right when he said it, I just thought, ugh, why? Why is that in there? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. I also thought it was odd 
that Jack Ryan had to be at the navigation controls when the captain of the Red October is right there next to him. He could just as easily sit in the chair and turn the knob himself. He's the captain, right? Yeah. But he puts Jack Ryan there who doesn't know anything. I just thought, I, I just felt like that was totally unnecessary to the plot, except for, I feel like it was one of those contrived things where they're trying to show, hey, we're going to put him between two captains. Which one does he pick? Because he knows this guy really well or because he's American. Which Which one does he pick? Which one does he choose to trust? Yeah. Like, I understand the tension there, but it's just not logical for me for the captain to have said, okay, you, you know nothing about navigation, sit in the chair. Anyway, I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. I think because it's based on a novel, that that's sort of what it is. Oh, I see. Right, because so Jack Ryan been... is the main character right. in this novel, and so usually they main character writers end up putting main characters through some like through most of like they do the stuff right and i can see this being better explained maybe from the perspective of the character knowing what's in his head um in a book oh than yeah. in the movie but I've, just only having seen the movie i thought that was just unnecessary i do i did reflect though upon the transition from russian to english in the book how did that do that was it something that they put in the film or was it like just to make it more convincing that they mm. were speaking that they were Russians but I, I don't know I don't know what Tom Clancy did in the book hmm me neither that would be interesting to see the other uh, thing that I was interested in was the the audio that you get with the movie that you don't get with the book. What I mean to say is, when... Like the radar beeping. The radar beeping, and yeah. like the pings, and when he comes to the captain, what was his name, Jonesy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Jonesy comes to the captain, and he's like, look, see, this, the computer says this is magma flow, but let's run it ten times faster, and then you hear it's like... Yeah, it sounds mechanical. How, like, that is impressive... As an audio clip in the film. But how do you do that in the book? You just say, oh, ten times faster, it sounded mechanical. I don't know, you'd have to be a good writer to pull that off. You would. And I feel like you could pull it off well as a writer, because you can let your reader's imagination do a lot mm-hmm. with just a few emotive words. But still, that's a, that was a really nice touch yeah. in the movie. Anyway, so I have more thoughts, but no more notes. So I'm interested to hear what you thought. Okay, I have a couple more notes. One... A couple sort of interesting thing is the helicopter to sub trade off, the handoff stunt. Oh, yeah. That was kind of interesting, just because it was intense. Yeah, intense. It's difficult. Yeah, that was a good part of the movie. It had my attention, and I thought it was interesting. It helped establish character, the way the characters reacted to this, like the way the captain reacted when Jack Ryan gets onto the sub and he's just like he's caused the captain's men all this grief and one of his men is hurt but the captain's still like calm and collecting you can tell he's irritated with this guy and he's thinking what in the world is this guy thinking and he's probably waiting for him to just like 
okay, what's the important news? What, why in the world did you put us through all this? Tell me, it must be really important. You must need to tell me right at this second. But instead, Jack Ryan, you know, greets him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, Captain. <laughs> yeah. And just the way the Captain reacts, I don't know, I thought it really, it was really consistent with the character. Yeah. It was, it was good. That little exchange. So, that, in line with the cat, like the character of the Captain, I think that the interaction between Jack Ryan and the Captain on the bridge, when... They just got the orders to sink the sub, and Jack Ryan is there saying, please don't sink the sub because he's trying to defect, and we need to figure this out because we could get a nuclear submarine. Right. For free. A, a seven really billion good, dollar, like a billion dollar submarine. A really good one, too, with technology that we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. And there's this exchange between them on the bridge where Jack Ryan is just pleading, and, and he says, you know, he's going to turn this way because I know him. And then later the captain's like, how did you know he was going to do that? I was like, I didn't. I just needed a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I liked that part, too. Like, the fate... I, it's, it, was a, it was a novel, but you had, you had the two superpowers, like the Americans and the Soviets, once again on the brink of war, because both navies were headed towards each other, and there was a rogue sub, and everything could have just let loose. Right. If somebody did something wrong. And the whole thing was stopped by essentially three people. Jack Ryan, Jonesy, and Sean Connery. Right. Like, that's those three people basically stopped a war. But it all hinged on that 50-50 guess on whether he was going to turn left or right. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought it was interesting. And the captain's reaction after finding out about that, he, what does he say? Something just like, it's okay. Yeah. It's like, I'm, we're glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah. I also found that the first interactions with the Russians was quite interesting, where they use their little sub and they dock onto the Red October. Uh -huh. They go inside, the Russian opens the hatch, and he signals them to come down and come in and they all stand there they're all lined up in the bridge you Science. have like half a dozen you have more than half a dozen Russian officers and then you have less than about half a dozen Americans and they're all just standing there in silence like what's going on they see they both have weapons like this could go bad are they actually defecting or are they just luring us in to kill us you know all these like crazy thoughts You could, the tension was right. so thick I actually thought I thought that too did they just lure them in to kill them, or what? It's a crazy suicide mission. And then Jack Ryan, who not ten minutes before said he doesn't smoke, motions to the engineer for a smoke. Uh-huh. And then it just... He, he did... Like, I could tell he did it because he knew it would ease the tension. Yep, Incredibly. he doesn't smoke. <laughs> and so he, he took the cigarette, and he lit it, and then he inhaled, and then he was trying to hold it. And all the Russians are like, he's turning green. He can't take it. <laughs> yeah. And then it just like breaks the tension and they respond with... And then he res Jack Ryan responds in Russian and then they switch to English. Yeah. It was... It was, it was well written. That part was really well done yeah. on that... I wonder how much of that was attention. the screenwriters and how much of that was Tom Clancy. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. Anyway. 
Really good. On the same, it's happening at a similar time though. I love how, firstly, how brilliantly the officers get the crew off the sub. Yes. With the radiation leak. Yes, I thought that was just brilliant. And it was so, because, sorry, gotta calm down. Jack Ryan says he's already thought of a way to get them off the sub. But even though I knew that and I was looking for that, I still didn't recognize that as the way that he's getting the crew off the sub until later. And then I realized as they went down, oh, that was his plan. Wow. I didn't know it was his plan until after he'd done it. That was brilliant. I mean, at first, at the beginning of the film, it established that the doctor, played by Tim Curry, was Russian. Like, he was very pro-Russian. He wasn't affecting. Right. Since he was saying, you know, to Sean Connery, it's not good for any one man to have both keys for the nuclear missiles. Right. And so there was sort of this thing going on, and the cook who you find out as a saboteur, the whole he's time... He's the only one who knows about the, the real plan because he witnesses him taking the key. Yeah. So you have this sort of tension going on. I think the radiation leak was more convincing because it was the sabotage. Yeah. But I love how they all they all get off the sub and then the captain convinces the crew that in order to save their lives... He needs to take the sub with the other officers. officers and go down and fight them. Yeah. <laughs> and so he leaves them, and then they get rush, rescued by the Americans. And the entire time this thing is going on under the water, they're saying, the captain is brave, the captain scared that submarine right out of the water. Yeah. Which, by the way, was so epic to see a submarine launch out of the water. Yeah. It's like, whoa. So fast that it just... Anyway, it's just really funny to see the Russians so impressed and so excited with their captain. And then at the end, when the other Russian submarine explodes, they all mourn for the loss of their captain. Little did they know it was a different sub and all this yeah. stuff. But they were completely sold that the, there, was a nu- there was a radiation leak and that the captain died honorably. Yeah. And that the submarine was destroyed and so all the stories that go back to Moscow would be heroic and all the best while the Americans would have this Russian nuclear submarine. <laughs> yes, it was just brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. Anyway, overall, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I, I thought it was a lot of language, though, for a PG movie. Was it PG? The movie was PG. Man, okay, I did notice at the beginning there was quite a bit of language. Yeah, it was starting to bother me, so I was... Ugh. Anyway, that was, I felt, a little bit unnecessary. Yeah. Pretty much unnecessary. I mean, I get that they're trying to convey, okay, these are soldiers, they swear a lot. Okay. I just... Ugh. I don't like that. I know people are going to say it's necessary to to get like the feel of yeah. That environment, but it bothered me. Besides that, though... The score was also brilliant. Yes. And I loved... I just loved the parts when there was a torpedo coming at a submarine and they did something clever to avoid it, like, every time. Those parts were good and intense and, like, had me wrapped up. Yeah. It was a good film. 